When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I want you to just be attacking board wretches and I want to play hard denial. It's not so much that I want to drop the nothing beast on you. It's that I want to take something for absolutely nothing. Howdy, friends. We have a heck of an episode here for you today. This is going to be uh, covering Tara out of Outcasts. Um, probably one of the more complicated masters out there. Um, but when she's played right, she is really tough to beat. Um, we are coming right off the heels of Nova. So I've got one of the people that uh, has been running Tara for a long time, uh, Owen Baston. We also have uh, Cody Hyatt, who actually won Nova um, using Tara uh, three times out of five rounds. Uh, I think you're going to learn uh, some very interesting ways to play it because they play her a little bit different. And uh, you're going to f- actually find some interesting ways to counter her as well. Uh, so enjoy. strategy game allows you to unplug and test your skills against friends. Every week, Third Floor Wars delivers useful strategies, discussions, battle reports, and reviews to tabletop games like Malifaux. If you want to get better at the games you already play or discover the games other people are playing, you are in the right place. Craig and Ray welcome you to the third floor and the Tabletop Talk broadcast. Craig here on the third floor. Today we're going to do a deep dive into the Outcast Master Tara and how the Obliteration Crew works in Malifaux 3rd Edition. My guests are Owen Best and Cody Hyatt. Now, Owen, I think you and I have known each other for, ooh boy, three, four years now? I think that's about right, Craig. Yeah, well, welcome to the third floor, man. Now, for those of you that don't know Owen, he's a well-respected competitive player and is responsible for keeping Malifaux community alive in the Capital City Conference during the drought between second and third edition. Um, he's been hosting games at his at his uh, house on a regular basis. Uh, I even had an opportunity to go up and uh, visit and see it in action. And uh, uh, Owen, your perseverance pushing through uh, that drought and kind of keeping the game alive is uh pretty awesome. You might also know Owen uh, from all the work he does with Nova. So he's part of the reason that Nova happens every year. And uh, if you saw any of the tables from the Nova Grand Tournament there at the beginning of September, Owen, I think, was responsible for about half of them. So, Owen, I think the first thing I want to try to figure out is kind of what got you into tabletop gaming and how did you find Malifaux? Thanks, Craig. Well, and thank you for having me on. Uh, It's a real pleasure. So, I really got into tabletop gaming in middle school with an early exposure to Warhammer 40,000 second edition. So way back when it yeah. came, with a, came with a cardboard cutout dreadnought and uh, <laughs> all, all those very static posed Marines. Um, but since I was in middle school, didn't have a car. So made it kind of hard to go find people to play with since yeah. folks didn't drive me to the store all the time. So it all went on the shelf or in the basement until after college, uh, when a good friend of mine uh, 
and I realized that we had both done the same thing as <laughs> as young kids. And so we said, well, let's let's figure out where the game's at. By then, I think it was fourth on the cusp of fifth. And so we got back into it, started playing, had a good time. And then we found out that, hey, lo and behold, in our backyard, there was a gaming convention for 40K called the Nova Open. So eight years ago, I went out and as a player, tried it out, had a great time and answered the call for volunteering. And in the time since then, uh, we went through a couple edition changes in 40K. And then some friends started talking about this little game called Malifaux. So this is right around the time that 40K started turning into Death Stars and crazy flying demon lists. Yeah. And it, yep. it really wasn't very much fun. No, it wasn't. And the rules seemed to change on a weekly basis. You just couldn't keep up. Could not. And so when we were exposed to the beginning of second edition Malifaux, it, it blew us away. It was huge. So um, Mike Brandt, who founded the Nova Open, started having game nights at his place. Uh, and all of us got super into it. I joined starting with Misaki. At the time, I wanted to go 10 Thunders. But none of the 10 Thunders models were really released at that time. So yeah. I switched into Outcasts. And that's where I've been ever since. Yeah, I, I've only ever known you as an Outcast player. Is that pretty much all you've played? Pretty much. I've dabbled a little bit in Asami. And recently I just got the Yoku box. So oh, I put her nice. together, started painting her, played one game, had a ton of fun. So I'm, I'm very much looking forward to 10 Thunders in third edition. Yeah, uh, they're strong. They're strong. There's uh, a lot of people arguing they weren't uh, tested enough, but time will tell on that one. All right. So uh, for some of you, you already know Cody. Cody was the uh, Tara player on the live stream uh, that we did um, against John Fox, uh, which he won, by the way. And uh, probably what he's most famous for now is being the first place finisher at the 2019 Nova GT uh, for Malifaux. And he, uh, you actually, uh, you took Tara, I know you took Tara, Cody, in the fifth round. Um, did you take her two or three times total out of the five rounds? I took her three times, uh, round one, four, and five. Yeah. Nice. And Cody, nobody from the Carolina Conference was surprised to see Cody take first. He's been pretty much a dominant player um, down here in the Carolinas. So, uh, Cody, welcome to the third floor. Let's hear how you found uh, Malifaux. Thanks for having me, Craig. It's a pleasure to be here. Shout out to the the the, the floor heads or the 30s, whatever you call your, your fans. Uh, oh, God, the floor heads. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know, man. We, we might need to work on your branding skills, Cody. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, yeah. That's you. That's you. You're the brander. Um, yeah, so it's crazy. Owen and I have like super similar stories. Uh, when I was 11 years old, I went to like Camp Atari Boy Scout camp, and there was like some uh, camp counselors playing 40K on a picnic table there. And no kidding. Then, I was like obsessed with tabletop gaming. I was like, a middle schooler, like you said, I had no money, no car. I uh, begged my parents to buy me the Eldar Codex that I would read, you know, like on road trips, cover yeah. to cover, but could never really play. Um, you know, like scraped a l together a little bit of money in like middle school and high school. <laughs> and then in uh, grad school, I finally had the uh, a little bit of money to get into it. Got into 40K. I believe that was around fifth edition. Um and yeah, from there, I actually dabbled a little bit in Malifaux first edition, 
but that was just like playing on some dude's coffee table while he take breaks to smoke spice in Florida because it was wild and we could never get anyone else to play with us. And from there, I played War Machine a bunch and then moved up here to North Carolina, played Gill Ball a bunch, and finally found you guys here. I didn't even know you were playing on a different day at a topic. So mm-hmm. hopped in about a year and a half ago. Yeah, it, um, it's been good having you, Cody. And you um, you also, I think, were a bit of the vanguard in, um, and I've talked about on the show before, how we've had a nice little influx of Warm Award players uh, move over to uh, to uh, uh, Malifaux. And I think that you were really kind of the, the, the first to make that happen. And uh, at some point, um, we keep talking about it, Cody, at some point we need to get all those guys on so we can kind of talk about uh, the similarities and, you know, why uh, – you know, Malifaux scratches an itch that apparently uh, Warmer Horde uh, scratched for you as well. Yeah, that would be an awesome combo because it, there's definitely so much overlap in just how the game functions and how uh, w- what you want to see on the table and how you want to play out a game, but it scratches a different itch in terms of, you know, the skirmish and uh, the individual model complexity. Yeah, we've had a lot of that here in the DC region as well. A number of my regular players all came from the War Machine community. Actually, this weekend at Nova, one of the heads of the War Machine group, shout out to Devin, was actually over playing demo games at Malifo and was really excited to be playing. So it's uh, we definitely have a lot of crossover. So it didn't just happen down here in the Carolinas. It happened up there as well? That's correct. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, Cody and I have talked about it and I, I, Cody's insights on it. It's really interesting as well as some of the other guys here in the Carolinas. Um, and like I said, we hasn't happened yet, but at some point I'd like to do a, uh, refugee from Bormahord podcast, I guess, and, uh, kind of talk about it. Um, but that's not what we're here today to talk about. Let's talk a little bit about Tar and the obliteration crew. And what I'm going to do guys is I'm going to kind of dig into your brains a little bit and learn how you guys, you know, how you build an, an obliteration crew, where you start. Um, how the crew itself plays, how Tara plays, what are some of the key tech pieces that you pull, depending on what the strat is or maybe what the scheme pool is. And we're also going to go over how we can counter uh, the obliteration crew um, so that uh, Tara is not winning every GT out there, Cody. Um, so uh, let's start off with you, uh, Owen. Can you kind of give me an idea, uh, like a quick overview of Tara? What makes her unique? What are some of her signature abilities? Sure. So, just like in second edition, Terra is all about control. She's about controlling the board and about burying models, both friendly and foe. And in third edition, it's that burying your own models that's really become a signature of her crew. She operates with the ability to control the battlefield through playing a shell game, in some ways similar to Colette, except mm-hmm. that every model in her crew could do that. So she can bury uh, in every other keyword obliteration model, uh, with the exception of Talos, who we'll talk about. But all the other ones can be buried, uh, and they can also hand out fast to enemy models, and then use that fast for fun and profit. Yeah, and and you know the first time you find out, like the first time I went against Tara, um, you know, it was like you know she's going to hand out fast. I'm like sweet, <laughs> um, but as I'm sure we're going to get into, uh, it's not so sweet. In fact, it's probably one of the few times you're going to try to stop yourself from getting fast. Um, so, Cody, I mean, do you consider her a, a control master? Yeah, definitely. Um, or more so, I, I don't know. This is just uh, semantic at this point, but like a denial master. Okay. Like Owen said before. 
what's really signature about her in the new edition is the ability to bury your own models. And that, that is just an, uh, like, it's so hard to describe when you just look at her card, but anytime an opponent wants to commit on something, wants to go in on any of your models, you can next activation, spend a bonus action. That's almost nothing to just bury it and say, no, you can't attack that model anymore. So I think that ability to deny your opponent's AP by both, um, causing them to spend resources on a model that you're just going to bury yeah. and causing them to take walk actions to get to models wherever you decide to unbury and bury makes it a huge denial sort of gameplay strategy there. Yeah, I think your shell game, uh, it really kind of captures what it feels like when you when you play against her because it just, uh, and it's, you know, it's so thematic too, which is really neat. And it's so unique, um, which is something that, I've told Matt and Kyle that I just love about this new edition is just how every keyword seems to have just a really neat flavor to it. Um, and at Nova, um, oh, and I, I, I faced a lot of stuff I'd never seen before. And, you know, even when I was up against the wall, it was just cool because everybody felt like their own thing. Um, so I, I'm not saying third edition is perfect and I'm not saying it's perfectly balanced. It's pretty good. But the one thing that they feel like they nailed is the, is the feel. Um, I think that each of these masters feel that way. Um, Absolutely. so yeah. It, it, so, uh, Owens, oh, so, you know, we talked about, you know, um, I think Cody gave a great example of, you know, that shell game. Um, any other main strengths that we should know about Tara other than her ability to pretty sure, pretty much make sure she's got her models where she needs them to be, not where you want them to be, uh, as the opponent, um, or his, her offensive ability to bury. Is there other things we should know about? So she also brings to the table a lot of activation control. So with the advent of past tokens, Activation control is much less of a thing in this edition. However, she, between her ability to go twice individually and Aeonis' ability to automatically get two pass tokens every turn, is often going to be able to guarantee that she gets at least one or two activations after your opponent's crew has activated. Yeah, and to kind of just build on what you just said, Owen, it's not that activation control isn't a thing anymore. It's still powerful. It's just a lot harder to get right because True. of past tokens. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, but that's where, you know, Tara shines, um, especially when uh, coupled with, uh, Aonis, uh, Cody, how about, uh, now Tara specifically, does she, uh, put out any damage? Yeah, she does. Uh, she has a pretty good sword. Um, but I, th I would like to get just like a little bit into the micro of these interactions because we're talking about macro and her strength and, yeah. and everything. But uh, looking around the internet, it seems like so many people are having trouble just getting this master on the table. So I thought it'd be good just to talk for you know a little bit about the micro interactions that make all of this denial and, and, and speed and uh, low-key damage actually pop up. So we already mentioned the, um, the fact that we can hand out uh, fast with a bonus action. And it's the same action. It's an attack action that either makes the enemy fast or buries one of your models that has the ability to bury. And then all of your models have uh, that can be buried have an ability that when they start their activation, they can remove fast from any, any model on the table to unbury base to base with them. So what that means is you can, wherever you can land your bonus action, you can have one of your other models come up base to base with that model. So it gives sort of unparamounted sort of uh, speed and ability to board swap. Yeah. Now, and <clears throat> as a traditional sort of war game player, 
I'm always looking for a way to play denied flank, like in every single uh, minis game I play. And Terra is exceptional at that because just the combination of those two abilities makes her so deep in your ability to put half your crew on one side, half your crew on the other side, walk up the table. Your opponent has no idea where you're going to commit to because at any point you can bury half of your crew, send it yep. to the other side, or completely give up a flank or push really hard where you in- initially wanted to. And so, Cody, there's a lot of people listening um, that understand what a, uh, a denied flank is. Um, but I think we also have a lot of new players and, and don't spend an hour on it. But can you just give kind of briefly um, what a denied flank is and what dominating a flank means so that we can kind of get a feel of what you're talking about? Yeah, denied flank uh, basically means you want to fight uh, in a position where, say, you have a 70 percent to 50 percent advantage in terms of the amount of your force versus their force. And you do that by putting something hard or difficult to control or difficult to pin down on one side. And then you put 80% of your strength on the other side. Mm-hmm. And so you're always, you're fighting up on one side and you're conceding the other side, but saying you're not going to get anything out of this conceit because you, you can't move anything or in this position, or in this case, uh, you're, you could put all of your stuff into chasing down that one flank, but then I'm going to bury it and send it the other way anyway. Yep. Yep. Okay, great. Um, so now we kind of understand, you know, literally the mechanics of it and why you're handing out fast, right? And that's to bring your unburied models out. Um, it, um, and you said that her sword is pretty good um, as far as offensive. I, I, I am interested to hear about um, any other like micro mechanics. Yeah, so, yeah, I guess I should have an- answered your initial question. Her sword is good, and uh, but it's mainly good because she gets 5 AP in a turn because she gets that first activation and then she gets the second activation, as Owen said. So any master that can swing five times is pretty good. Yeah. And she has a built-in uh, glimpse from the Void Trigger, uh, which is on a lot of – it's built into the Obliteration Summons, and uh, Nothing Beast and Cyan have it that isn't built in. But that's the target 14 willpower door be buried. And when a mo- enemy model is buried by a terrorist effect, you get to pick where it comes up based off the unbury effect. Yeah, and I can tell you, yeah, having faced that, it, it, that, that uh, uh, target 14 drains your hand. Yeah. Especially if you're going to be taking that test at least six or more times per turn, probably more yeah. like 10. And so that that actually is, I think, the other really vital side to the berry game is burying that enemy model does three key things for you. One, it can neutralize an enemy threat. So if the enemy beater activates, moves towards your crew, and you're able to bury that model, it is now going to be out of position and not in a place where it can threaten you. This also works against models that have bad auras or things like Molly. If you can bury Molly, then guess what? Her last caress is not affecting you. So that's the first thing, is denying the enemy's uh, threat. The second thing is, if it's buried, almost every model in this crew can attack buried models, which means your models can attack enemy models from safety with no chance of reprisal. And then the third thing is that because you get to choose where they unbury, you can put the enemy models in disadvantageous positions across the map to optimize your ability 
to threaten them and to minimize their ability to threaten you. Which I think, Owen, ties right back into what Cody was talking about, about, about controlling a flank. Absolutely. Yeah, and if you're going to get started with Terra, I recommend read the rules for Barry uh, about 10 times because there's so, <laughs> there's so many little nuanced things. And it's little tech that will win you certain games. So, for example, models that are buried at the end of the game are counted as killed. So if you need to score that second point of Assassinate or Vendetta, sometimes all you have to do is bury them. If, they ha- if they're already activated, they're not going to unbury this turn. Um, and also buried cancels replace effects. Replace effects state that you have to replace the model base to base with the original model. If there's if it's if it's buried, then it can't replace. Oh, that's um, interesting. I hadn't thought about that. And that that gets into some of the demise abilities that are out yep. there. Yep. Bury ashes and dust. He's a sad. He's a sad dude. And uh, so when a model unburies, it's a place effect as well. So if you have enemy effects that uh, have to do with places, then um, like. What's the name of the uh, the aura where you can't place within six inches? Uh, I love Lace. Anna Lovelace has gravity. Yeah. Ball. So you actually can't unbury within six of her if she could see you uh, because it's a specifically a place effect. Yeah. So there's a lot of little little nuance around buried that can help you uh, when learning to play Terra. So it sounds like positioning control, guys, is a big thing here, right? And you're kind of dictating not only where your models are going to be, but where the enemy is going to be, which um, really gives you a, a ton of control um, on the situation. Um, and that itself, I would imagine, is you would consider a defensive ability, right? I mean, that's that's keeping her crew alive because you're you're dictating so much. Yes, and a lot of her crew also has incorporeal which just plays into that both defense and maneuver. Incorporeal lets you move through buildings or move through other obstacles. It also reduces damage by one to zero. So that helps keep your models alive and continues that theme of mobility and maneuver. Yeah, and Terra herself is is, uh, very defensive. I don't know if I would take, if I was playing against Terra, I probably wouldn't take Assassinate into her um, because she has a defense trigger um, if a if she's targeted with a projectile action and she gets her mask, so it's uh, immediately as well. So if she has a mask, it, she immediately the action immediately fails. And if she's killed within eight inches of Karina, she can discard a card to heal for for and bury herself. That's brutal. And uh, what's uh, unique about that ability is it's not a demise effect because yep. it's on Karina. So she she's hard to kill if she's within eight of Karina. She's hard to kill because any of her models can walk up, take a bonus action, and bury her. Uh, she's just a hard model to get down. Yeah, that 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 sounds like not a, a whole lot of fun actually to play against. So, um, all right, guys, what I want to do is I want to take a quick break, and when we get back from the break, I want to talk a little bit more about the crew. We've talked we've talked about a few models, but I want to dig a little bit deeper um, into really how all these mechanics around the obliteration crew and uh, how Tara is out there really kind of, you know, setting the pace and um, uh, really. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. 
What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Supporting them. So we'll be right back. Now, I know a lot of you, you know, actually play Tar, or maybe a lot of you have Tar sitting there and you haven't had the, uh, the courage or the knowledge you felt to really get around the table. Um, but for those of you that are listening that have played against Tara, um, I think everything that was shared so far, you've experienced firsthand. Um, the first time I saw it, it, it really, it took me off guard because, you know, I'm used to trying, I'm a big fan of the denied flank, the way that Cody talked about. I'm not nearly as effective at it as he is, but, um, it, it, you just you have to like say okay I, this is an aspect of this war game this particular matchup I'm not going to control where these matchups are going to happen so I'm going to have to figure out an advantage somewhere else um, but let's let's dive in so you guys you know you've looked at the pool you've decided hey I'm going to you know bring Tara or if you're Cody you're going to bring her three times into a GT whatever you know helps you out and um, you know, for most of us, there's probably two, three, maybe even four models that it doesn't even matter what the pool is. We're going to hire them. So Cody, can we talk about what your core crew is, your auto hires? Uh, yeah. Um, so with Tara, I'm almost always bringing Aonis and I'm almost always bringing the nothing beast. And from there on, it's uh, sort of situational. I really like the scion. The internet is kind of may on the scion and Talos is kind of situational as well. But before I go into the strength of why I bring uh, the big guys yeah. and why the other ones are situational, I'd like to just briefly talk about what her turn one looks like. Because I think oh, if we talk great. about what her turn one looks like, then uh, everyone's going to understand how these pieces come together. Because there's a lot, like, like I said before, this is a hard crew to get on the table because there's just so much text on the front of these cards that is so situational. If you look at Aonis, I mean, he's got, what, he's got five abilities on the front. He's got one, two, three, four attack actions. And he's got so much going on that I think if we talk about some of the, uh, just the typical turn one and what it looks like, I think that'll paint a clear picture. So initially with Tara, what you're trying to do is you're trying to summon something, right? She's a summoner. That's what you want to do. Uh, so you're either going to summon the Void Hunter, the Void Wretch, I like to summon two Void Wretches because she can do that in one AP, and that gives me more um, positional ability uh, with the uh, because I'm bringing out two models that have that Stutter Time bonus action. And with the Stutter Time bonus action, all the other models in my crew are sort of passing around, burying each other. Uh, I specifically want the Nothing Beast buried because he's going to be the end of my turn one activation. Uh, so I'm going to move around. Tara's going to have a conservative first activation. She might bury the Nothing Beast. Uh, Karina will bury, you know, the Scion. Uh, and eventually Aonis is going to go, and he's going to unbury either my two Void Wretches or uh, the Scion or something else that's buried. And in doing that, he has a built-in trigger to generate two pass tokens like Owen talked about before. So now, for those keeping track, you got four pass tokens, and you got Terra's second activation to go, and your opponent probably has one or two activations left. So um, let's take a quick uh, stop right here, though, Cody, because yeah. you touched on it. But can you talk about like mechanically how she summons? Because uh, it's pretty unique. Yeah. So with her summon, uh, it's a once per turn ability, and she names any number of obliteration models. Uh, so for a void hunter, and she needs a tome. For a void hunter, you need eleven of tomes. For two void wretches, you need a twelve of tomes, and they just come in buried. 
They're not slow, no other side effects. They just come in buried. And so to get them unburied, you're either going to need to stick that fast action or you're going to need to have the Aonis unbury them or Karina unbury them. Gotcha. All right. So go back to where you were. So now you now you're now you're activating Aonis. Yep. You've activated Aonis. You generated four pass tokens. All of your models are barely outside of the deployment zone at this point. And at this point, if your opponent has not seen Terra before, they're like, oh, uh, my turn one strategy where I send Shen Long into their crew <laughs> not gonna work because there's no models to attack. You know, my my turn one strategy where uh, Mad Dog goes 20 inches and blows, does 22 damage with his blast is not going to work because there's nothing to attack. Uh, so they just sort of putts around and then after they're done activating, Terra goes with her second activation. She can leap somewhere, make something fast. You drop the nothing beast on them. Mm-hmm. He punches. He makes something else fast. Void Wretch pops up, or Scion pops up, buries the nothing beast with his bonus action. So you have made two nothing beast attack actions. Terra's maybe attack something. The Void Wretch is attack something. And your opponent has nothing to attack in return. Other oh, than that's that, so frustrating. That there's just a Void Wretch sitting in the middle of their crew, and there's nothing else for them to attack. And that's what a typical Terra turn one tends to look like, I think. So out of curiosity, Owen, how different is that from how you approach turn one? So it's actually fairly different. And yep. it was really interesting to hear Cody say that because some of those maneuvers are something I'm definitely going to take to the <laughs> table and try out. Yeah. Um, I've, I've typically done a lot less of the bury my own models. The times that I played Terra, I've, I, I'll often summon and I'll summon early just to get it out of the way if I have the right cards. Um, I like to go for a hunter if possible over the two void wretches. I usually like to bring two void wretches into the crew to start and then summon in the hunters because the hunters are actually pretty dangerous and pretty scary. And I will try to move the whole team up the board and then start to shift if needed or else focus on getting fast and getting that hunter out and into combat. Interesting. So where Cody is kind of going in there and, and, and Cody, correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, one of the, one of your goals, it's not the only one is to get that nothing beast into somebody's face. It sounds like, Oh, and you're, you're saying, okay, I'm really going to use the hunter for that. At least turn one or two. Yeah. Turn one. And I mean, obviously it depends a lot on how aggressive your opponent's crew is and what the particular mission is. Like, can you play midfield or do you need to play the enemy backfield? If it's enemy backfield, then yeah, absolutely. You can get a huge movement advantage by burying the nothing beast, moving another model up, unburying the nothing beast from fast. So you could easily get 20 inches of free movement that way. Uh, but if it's a more midfield scheme, I often will like to move those models up behind terrain and almost be waiting for the start of turn two mm-hmm. when I can charge through buildings, um, go late in the turn with my beaters who ignore the terrain and can come out and spring the trap on that enemy midfield. Yeah, I am. Um, I'm so glad you have Owen on this episode. That's because, so um, <laughs> yeah, because there is so much discrepancy in how people are playing Terra. When I look at how people are playing Terra online and a lot of people are like, why would you ever summon the Void Wretch? And a lot of people are playing Terra exactly like Owen is talking about. Um, But the reason I play her differently, just to sort of add a caveat to my position, is 
I'm looking at Terra as an outcast player and not as a Terra player. And to explain that, I think uh, that Owen strategy is the best strategy in certain matchups and in certain pools. And in those matchups and pools, I just think that Jackdaw or Zip is better playing that kind of style. So when I bring Terra, it's for a specific purpose, and it's because I don't want you to do anything. Right. Right? I want you to just be attacking Void Wretches, and I want to play Hard Denial. It's not so much that I want to drop the Nothing Beast on you. It's that I want to take something for absolutely nothing. I don't want to give you anything. That's why I'm bringing Terra in this particular matchup. So I'm so glad Owen's on here to sort of uh, provide... The balance. Context. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And what I love too, and this isn't the first time I've come across this, is you, you, you not only have two people successfully playing a keyword, but playing it differently with really shockingly different approaches. Um, even though they might even bring a similar crew, um, they're, they're attacking the board differently. Um, and you know, that, that gets into the depth and the intricacies of the game itself, I think. When some of this too gets into, you know, where, where I like to go to for some of my out of keyword models. So to jump a little bit ahead there, yeah. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Marlena Webster. Now, part of that is that I'd say my favorite master overall is Leviticus and she is amazing in a Leviticus crew, but in a Terra crew, her ability to tank damage off of your incorporeal models often means that your incorporeal models take no damage at all. Um, from min attacks. So, but that style only works if you have models like Talos, like Aeonis, like the Nothing Beast, who are more central and midfield oriented. Um, if you're going to go instead with the kind of sudden strike and fade away type approach that Cody's talking about, uh, that, that's going to suggest different out of keyword models. Well, and I don't. Go ahead. I was going to say, I, I don't think either one is necessarily good or bad. It's really about trying to tailor your approach to the opponent's crew and the mission at hand. And I'm definitely going to be trying some of Cody's suggestions. Well, here. and here's the other thing I'll add to that, Owen, and, and, I'll, and I'll make an argument that's even more important. So there's no question that your approach and the crew you build is going to be uh, dictated by, you know, your opponent and dictated by the, the pool. But I'll, I'll also argue it's really going to be dictated by your play style. Um, and, and granted, for mo- many of us, our play style dictates the faction and the crews that we play, period. Um, but it, what, what I'm kind of getting a feel of here, and, and I'm really looking forward to us digging into it deeper, is it sounds like, Owen, oh, you approach Tara with a different play style than Cody. And both of you can be equally as effective because uh, familiarity is king. Um, but I think the second thing is, is what's just something that fits your style. Yeah. And, uh, I think we, um, one thing we're, we're touching on with the play style thing is that, that we didn't sort of even mention in the beginning that we should have said is that Terra is an exceptionally deep master, just the ability to bury your models and unbury your models in the complete opposite end of the board is so hard on your head. Like I was completely mentally drained after playing her for three rounds in a row. And it's not that one of these approaches is better than the other. So it's, so you guys know that, that magic, the gathering article, who's the beat down. Yeah. Yeah. So Cody, for those that don't give us a quick. 
So it's basically uh, whenever you're playing Magic, so let's just make it Malifaux in this situation. You have one person who is the beatdown and one person who isn't. So the beatdown has the higher stats. They're, if you just run at each other, the beatdown is going to win because they are they have better stats. They're just going to crush you, right? So one person is the beatdown. The other person is the cr- control. Control doesn't have the higher stats, but they have sort of the tech, the situational abilities that can um, you know debuff or sort of change the, you know, where the battle should be taking place and uh, maybe offer denial. Um, so what that article is about is sometimes you can lose a game if you incorrectly assess which one yeah. you are. So if you think you're the beatdown, you were actually the control, you're going to lose. If you think you're the control, you're actually the beatdown, you're going to lose. So Owen's kind of talking about Terra beatdown, and I'm kind of talking about Terra control. So if I go into a matchup, and I incorrectly assessed that I am the control when in actuality I needed to be running up the board. I needed to be dropping Aonis in the middle of the board so that he can unbury a Void Hunter and the Nothing Beast. And I'm not trying to uh, bury my own models. I'm just trying to make attack actions because I'm the actual beatdown in this matchup. Um, you know, that's the correct strategy. I haven't seen that too much. I think you, well, we'll get to that in the counters, I guess, of like what counters Terra Denial, what care, counters Terra. Uh, well, and, and what you're saying really rings a lot for me, Cody, um, not only because I'm very familiar with that article, because I think it's uh, an article that's universal to gaming, not uh, yeah. not just to magic. But um, there's a lot of masters out there that I think this applies to. I think it applies to every matchup. Right. So I, th- I do believe that there's a very universal truth in that article, but there are specific masters out there that this is really true. And obviously Tara is one of them, but another, for me, it's Molly. I mean, regardless of how I build my crew, I need to figure out very early if I'm going to be aggressive beatdown Molly or if I'm I going to be control Molly because my crew may, not, my crew's probably not going to change. It's all going to depend on what I do with that crew and the decisions I make and, and, and how I approach the game. And to your point, Cody, and the, and the point of the article, if I, if I pick the wrong one and I think I'm going to be the, the, the beat, the beater, and it turns out that my opponent's the beater, I'm, I'm in a lot of trouble. Um, and I can go through, uh, each of my ties and loss and my one loss at Nova. And I could probably boil down to that misassessment. Um, so I think that's a great call out. And to that point on, on Molly specifically, the one game of Malifaux I was able to play at Nova pickup game on Thursday, um, was actually Terra versus Molly. Uh, and in that scenario, I ended up playing more of the beatdown. I had taken Taylor in my crew, uh, as my out of keyword model. And so between Taylor and the nothing beast, they were able to, able to put a world of hurt on a number of Molly's models. Yeah. And I was able to bury Molly and Archie. Ugh. Um, and then just wail on them with all of my attacks. And I had gone into that trying to go for the assassinate, um, which I almost got, we ended up drawing, uh, due to some poor flips and some, tactical errors in the last turn but uh it's an example of you need to evaluate at the start of the game which you are yeah. and adapt your strategy accordingly so oh oh and let's talk a little bit about your core crew so we got to feel that you know cody's got two models that he pretty much brings in every time do you have two or three models that you always hire regardless of which uh, direction you're going my core models are actually pretty similar to cody's 
So I take Aeonis and the Nothing Beast. Uh, Aeonis really for the Unbury and the Pass tokens. And that may seem like a lot for a 10 stone model, but having that guaranteed Unbury yeah. is really vital. Um, and another source of the Sever Timeline uh, and the Stutter Time. So the other model, the Nothing Beast, is really your beater for the crew. Uh, being incorporeal, attacking willpower is often really valuable, and then being terrifying to boot makes it a really key uh, asset to the crew. Karina, who we haven't talked a ton about, is your automatic hire, your totem. She has a heal. A heal is actually incredibly valuable because any heal is going to go twice as far when you're healing an incorporeal model. Oh, yeah. Because... You can think about every point healed is worth plus one. Um, she also has the ability to unbury models. She also has the coolest ability, I think, in the game, which is Time Warp, which allows you to swap your discard pile and your deck. It only comes into play once in a blue moon, but if the start of your turn is full of severe cards and you swap your deck and your discard, all of a sudden you can run back that same set of severe cards and you know exactly what's coming. Wow. Does, if that is not an ability that it's only going to impact maybe one out of four games, but it'll have a huge impact. I've never heard one before. That's, that's very interesting. Beyond that, it really depends on the mission. I like the scion. The scion is great against condition based crews because the scion has an ability where you do two damage to the target for every condition and then remove all of those conditions. So if you're trying, if you're going up against a crew that wants to stack friendly conditions like poison or burning, you can shut those down with the scion. Talos is handy if you need a tank. An armor two and seven wounds, terrifying 11. Talos can take a fair amount of punishment especially if you can heal him with Karina. And he has a source of burying enemy models that is not a trigger. So you can guarantee a bury if you can guarantee a hit. So beyond that, it really depends on the mission. Yeah, I just want to touch, uh, add to the discussion about the Scion as well. It started off, the Scion was more situational, but the more I've played Terra, the more she's became sort of, I guess it's her, <laughs> I guess it doesn't have a gender. It. They is uh, the word you're looking for. It became, they became a more of an auto-include because it's just another source of stutter time. So when I'm playing Denial, when I'm playing Control, it's good to have that uh, additional stutter time source. And specifically, uh, it's good for because <clears throat> I like to send the Scion off completely by itself <laughs> uh, because it has that built-in trigger on defense and willpower that Colette has. And yeah. we didn't mention, it's a henchman. So it reduces the damage it takes by two while resolving, and it can stone. So if I send that model off on its own, it's a six-stone model. I, it's sort of a damned-if-you-do, damned-if-you-don't situation. If you want to send a big, heavy beater at it, it's like, okay, well, you just wasted... <clears throat> three walk actions coming at this model. I'm just going to bury. Um, and if you don't go to do anything about it, then I can make something fast. And then all of a sudden you have Terra, <laughs> nothing beast, Aeonis sitting right. 
yeah, Talos is also super situational for me. If you're playing beatdown, you got to bring Talos because at eight stones, min three beater, he's pretty, he's pretty dope. Um, in a lot of my games, he has just gotten absolutely shot off the board. He, uh, seven health is just, it's just yeah. fine. It's just fine. And I'm trying to get exceptional, man. I'm trying to, I'm trying to win these games. And oh yeah, and Karina. Oh, she's amazing. Karina's so you're, amazing. You're with uh, Owen on that. That she's just a great model. Yeah. Oh yeah, she's so good. She's so good. I'm just adding that Karina's amazing. If you're playing against Tara, <laughs> kill Karina as soon as possible. Otherwise, she's gonna. Not only are you going to waste AP attacking these models that are gonna bury. Yeah. She can heal buried models. So then she's gonna heal them up. Yeah. So I assume, guys, that you know, if you've got uh, a lot of distance to cover, um, you know, anybody in Tara's crew can make that you know a reality because maneuverability has a whole new meaning with this crew. But uh, other than Void Wretches, which I think are the obvious one, um, who else is actually running schemes uh, in an obliteration crew? Who's dropping scheme markers? Tara. Tara herself, honestly, like so. Obviously, sending your master to do schemes isn't typically the optimal move. But if you think about it, she's a model with 5 AP who gets to go two different times. Is potentially activating after everyone else goes. And she has an action to teleport six inches that she can do uh, multiple times Ugh. in a turn. So she has the ability to single-handedly score things like Breakthrough or Search the Ruins. Harness the Ley Line. Harness the Ley Line. Just run ar- completely around the board scoring you points. So, as Cody said, her sword is, is good. It's mostly good because she can use it five times. But often, she's a great choice for running your schemes. Yeah, she's basically the best schemer in the game. Quote unquote, I don't know. Maybe like she's she's got five <laughs> leaps she can do in a turn. It's insane. I've had it's. I would go so far as to say, as in certain pools and strats, if I have Terra and Aonis on the board, turn five, you can't stop me from scoring like yeah. three points, my three end of the game points, right? Because I'm going to generate pass tokens. Then Terra's going to go twice. She's going to drop a bomb. Leap, plan a scheme, leap, pick up your bomb. You know, like she could do three point swing swings completely uncontested. Right. Um, so it's 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 so strong. <laughs> yeah, you're a fan code, yeah, I can tell. Pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> so um Owen, you talked a little bit about hiring out of keyword. Um uh Cody, I want to know if you've ever brought in out of keyword models into an uh, an obliteration crew. Yeah, almost every time. Um I really like guns, uh, just as an outcast player. And, uh, so guns slide really great into a Terra crew. Like I said before, I, I cannot get Talos to work for the life of me. Um, every time I bring him, he is just the guy with the target on his head. Right. So if I'm, if I'm leaping all over the board and then I'm burying nothing beast, giving you nothing to attack, but avoid wretch. And then here comes Talos waddling up the middle of the board. It's like, Oh, there's a, there's a thing to kill. He, all, he dies on turn two every time for me. So I really like Hans because he can be safe and he can contribute. I really like um, Parker as a second max, master. And I don't know if that's the, if you want to talk about him now. Um, yeah, so Parker as a second master has, uh, 
I mean, I could gush about Parker as a second master in most crews, but what he does unique in Terra is he's bringing out of activation interacts and his ability to, every time he does damage, discard a card and have a model in LOS interact. And that is just exceptional in Terra's crew because you can unbury a Void Wretch, have hit punch, make something fast, and then disengage. And then later in the turn, Parker can shoot and have that Void Wretch interact. Because the stipulation on not taking interacts after disengage is during activation. And it can still take an interact out in Parker's activation after disengage. Uh, that plus Parker is the least greedy second master that I've played, at least. He has the built-in plus flips, and he can be stealing stones from your opponent. He needs no cards, which is very important in Tara's crew because she, her crew is so incredibly thirsty. They really need their hand. Oh, and have you ever hired Parker? I have not hired Parker. I've typically shied away from the dual master. Um, part of that just on principle, part of that on an expectation that I suspect that's going to go away in Gaining Ground's uh, next iteration. Uh, but it's definitely something I'd be interested in giving a try. Just so our, the listeners know, at some point we're going to get Cody on to talk about Parker because um, don't get me wrong, guys. Uh, uh, I've seen Cody's Tara, but uh, I have yet to see somebody uh, approach uh, Parker the way Cody does. So we'll, we'll, be, we'll probably do a lot more um, on that as well. So we talked about... Um, you know, some out of keyword stuff. And, and what I liked is we talked about why. How about uh, Outcasts have a lot of really good versatile models. So can you talk to me about some versatile models that you've spent time um, bringing into a, obliteration? Sure. When I look at versatile models in Outcast, I'm typically looking at just, and this is generally not just Terra, I'm typically looking at Hans and Midnight Stalker and the Emissary. So the Midnight Stalker. Uh, goes along with the same kind of teleport and scheme approach as Terra. So because of that, I often feel like that role is already taken. Um, but if I need to double down on that approach, he could sometimes be good. More likely, I'm going to go with Hans. Because Hans brings that crucial ruthless That's to deal. the game. Hans, Hans also has the ability to shoot at models that are engaged. So if you're engaging enemy models to do a scheme like uh, hold up their forces or just because you've engaged them, Hans can help put out that extra little bit of damage. It's going to take you over the top. Um, and then finally, the Emissary. I really like the Emissary in general in Outcasts. I'm slightly less likely to take it into the Terra crew because there's already a number of expensive models. But giving things like the Pretty Floral Bonnet, which gives Don't Mind Me, to some of those models that can run up the board can be helpful for dig graves or detonate charges. And giving out the regen can help keep models like Talos or the Nothing Beast alive. How about you, Cody? Uh, you, you already mentioned that you like Hans, but we already, you also mentioned you like guns. Is there any non-gun holding uh, versatile models you enjoy? Uh, so you can't talk about outcasts without talking about prospectors. So um, the prospectors are amazing. They have the ability to gain stun at the beginning of their activation and get a soul stone. No surprises that Terra, the summoner, would want all the stones she can get. Um, 
And I think this is important to mention because we'll probably come back to it. So Tara is incredibly thirsty in her stones, in her cards, because she's a summoner, right? And uh, so she's going to need at least five stones for their summons. She's probably going to need three stones for, um, you know, drawing two extra cards and discarding at the beginning of the turn, three to four. Um, and then she's going to want some stones to probably keep her and Aonis alive. So she's looking yeah. at needing like 10 stones, uh, you know, quote unquote needing. Um, so prospectors are really good in that situation. You could bring one or two. Uh, I usually like one because I like a little more threat with the rest of the points. Um, the other out of keyword, uh, versatile models I like. So another thing you have to talk about with Outcast, I feel like, is the two sort of darlings of the faction right now, at least as the internet would see them, which is Pride and the Emissary. Owen touched on the Emissary a bit. I'll talk a bit about Pride. Pride is an exceptional uh, sort of out of keyword model. He's only seven stones and he has a cheat second aura within six inches. So that's any of your friendly models within six inches can cheat second. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if you played against Lynch in second, you know how incredibly powerful that is. And it's exceptionally powerful in Terra combined with Talos. So, because Talos is the only guy who has an automatic berry on his attack. So if you walk into some mess with Talos and you hit that automatic berry, uh, now Pride can put up his cheat second aura and all your models don't even need to leave the deployment yeah. zone. They're punching the thing that's buried and they're cheating second. So that's really good. Uh, the Emissary. Mm, I'm going <sighs> to have a confession here, guys. Um, I think the, <laughs> I think the Emissary is kind of not great. I don't, I don't like it very much. Ooh, <laughs> I don't know. It's hard to say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that's a safe space that I could confess to you guys. I've tried okay, it so much. Wrong, I think he's good. I know. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get this. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna hate mail on this. I'm gonna get that threat. Uh, I think he's good in Leviticus for like dig and like good at keep making Mad Dog the best Mad Dog ever. But uh, he just does like six stones worth of work, and he's ten, and the auras are fine. He's just kind of meh for me. Like, I don't know. I don't like him very much, but the, the internet loves him so much. Oh, he's the darling of Outcast. Well, yeah. And here's something. This, and this, Cody, I think you and I have talked about this before. Um, and you came from Guild Ball, and so did I. So my, my, uh, my bridge to Malifaux from 40K was, was Guild Ball. Yeah. And, and I've said this a couple times on the show. Guild Ball is a really, really good game. Um, mm -hmm. the rule set is tight. They've done a great job keeping things balanced. Um, it, uh, it's a straightforward game. Um, the reason I left Guild Ball for Malifaux though, is in Guild Ball, there are right answers. So mm -hmm. if Cody, you and I are sitting down there, we're watching a live stream of two guys playing Guild Ball. And I see, you know, so-and-so activate, you know, Ox and he goes in with Ox and he chooses this, you know, makes this choice on the, uh, God, what were those called? Um, what were the different, uh, columns? Yeah. The playbook, right? The playbook, right? So he would choose this on the playbook and stuff like that. And I would say, you know, you know, Cody, I, that's, I wouldn't have activated ox and you said, well, no, I would have activated. And we, you and I could discuss it to the point till we got to the right answer because I think guild ball can be solved. Whereas Malifaux, I think that the emissary, can suck 
and be great at the same time yeah. in two with two different players. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, I, get, I don't want to talk too much crap about Gilball, but yeah, I definitely. No, not, that dude, I, I love Gilball. Don't, don't misinterpret it. It's not definitely solvable it. when I was playing it a bunch. At least I felt uh, to the point where, I mean, Gilball is a great game for practicing. But if you want to, if you want a wild and wacky experience, every time you play against your buddy and you played him fifty times in a row, I think Malifaux can be beat. How, how about you? On your head exposure either to um, to Guild Ball or a game not quite as deep as Foe? Uh, I've never played Guild Ball, um, so at my miniatures gaming has been pretty much confined to Malifaux and forty k. And forty k in some editions at some times was a more solved game, I think. Yeah. Yeah, my issue with 40K, and and I don't want to turn this, I already said this is not going to be a Guild Ball bashing <laughs> because I'm a, I'm a fan of Guild Ball. And the I'll go as far as to say the only game that I like more than Guild Ball is Malifaux. Because, um, again, Guild Ball is a good game. Um, I have to restrain myself not to bash 40K. Um, w- one of the things that frustrated me, let's put it this way. One of the things that frustrated me in 40 K was I really didn't like the fact that a lot of times the, the, the game ended before it started, um, where I presented my list, the opponent presented their list and we pretty much knew exactly what was going to happen. Um, I don't know if you th- experienced that as well, Owen. Yeah, for sure. Especially in some of the latter stages oh, yeah. of fifth and the early part of sixth. I hear it's better now, maybe. I don't know. I I've, I've got buddies that play it and love it. Um, and, yeah. and, and I don't fault anybody for loving it because the one yeah. thing that 40K's got is A, unbelievable models. B, it's got um, oh, such a rich lore history. I mean, there's so much flavor when you play it. Um, and if you're the kind of guy that really hates money, it is the game for you to play. <laughs> I mean, that's your go-to. Yeah. Um, and just and again, let's like, we want to get back to Tar here, but I think this is interesting, Cody. How about how about like so we talked about 40k versus um, Malifaux. We talked about Guild Ball versus Malifaux, and again, we want to do a whole podcast on this later. But talked about to me like in the same context where Warm Hordes fits relative to Malifaux. Yeah, so um, like I mentioned before, I, I I I would have some reservations about bashing Guild Ball. I do not have the same reservations about ba- ba- bashing 40k. You know, if you want like 50 stories about why, you know, my models fleeing off the table turn one was terrible, <laughs> yeah, you can get some of those. But um, yeah, to wind it back to Malifaux and 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 I guess War Machine. So yeah, War Machine is similar to Guild Ball in that I think the most important element that decides the game is matchup knowledge. Dice. Yeah. I know how you Malifaux players love to talk about dice and how it's so bad, but I think more than dice, it's matchup knowledge. Now, War Machine is great because it's almost impossible to get 100% matchup knowledge because there's so many matchups and it's it's you have to practice them so much. It's it's a game where you have to play so many times a week to really stay top of your game. And to pull it back to Malifaux, I think the game is so new, like you said, and I can't wait to see how wrong we are in a year. Like, I yeah. think Tara is yeah. either S tier master or I'm just tricking all these fools and they're going to realize in a year and she's going to be trash. Um, not, not to that extent. And on the emissary, like 
you know, I think it's meh and I've seen some other people do crazy stuff with it and I've had some good games with it. I'm just saying that I would, uh, you know, I can, I could be a charter member of the emissary is meh church and we're looking right. for bishops right now. So if you've been silent and want to <laughs> finally speak up, have your peace heard. But not Bishop, because he's, he's <laughs> not good. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's it, to your point, Cody, it, we're wicked early, right, to start making the call um, on any model, uh, let alone any keyword. Um, and you've heard me say it on the show before, where the first time you go up against any keyword for the first time, it just seems like the most OP, I can't believe how much, like, I can't believe this. And then you play it against it the second time, you're like, okay, this is not as bad as I thought it was. Um, but yeah, we've got a lot to figure out. Um, and, uh, stuff that's dominating here three months into release, I tell you right now, is not going to be dominant, dominating eight months after release, let alone 12 months. Um, so I think that's a, I think that's a really good point to bring up. Um, one last thing when we're talking about, um, creating these crews, guys, just in general, as far as core crews, I do want to talk a little bit about Outcast upgrades. Uh, so Owen, are there any, um, of the Outcast upgrades that, uh, you're finding yourself bringing in? Honestly, I don't, and that may be the wrong answer. Um, I feel like there probably should be scenarios where I want to be bringing those. I'm interested in the terrifying upgrade, but as of yet, I haven't found a ton of scenarios where I'd rather spend two stones versus have two stones to spend on Uh, my... I've struggled with it, Owen, because... I played probably my first 10 games of three, not bringing in an upgrade. And I think it was kind of my two E hangover. It was like two stones are brutal. And what was really hard for me was to bring an upgrade on a non minion. Cause I was like, I'm playing two stones to bring it in on a hencher and enforcer and I'm getting half the value or I can bring it on a minion and get the full value. And he's dead turn two. Like I didn't hire him. Um, I'm, kind of in the figuring it out stage now with upgrades. Like I would say I'm probably bringing in an upgrade once a game now. Um, I've I think it, it, you I, have to play it, I think. Right. I think it depends a lot on faction too, because yeah. for example, Arcanists have, I, I don't recall the name. Don't, the don't get me started, please. Owen, please don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> but Go ahead. I mean, having, uh, arcane reservoir on an upgrade uh, and having an upgrade that lets you, use soul stones and putting that on these emarachnid like there's some definite combos um and certainly for a couple of the other factions there's some very i don't want to say obvious like it like it's a negative thing but like there are some clear powerful combos of particular models and particular upgrades in outcasts i haven't found them yet so i don't know cody have you had any good luck no i think outcast upgrades are gotta be worst out of any of the factions they're 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 bad they're not good (laughs) servant is servant is good but like you said is it i mean i don't know and then the the hard to kill upgrade is living only so that really limits the ability and wanted criminal is just hot garbage um but and yeah, and especially in a terror crew, because minus two stones effectively means minus four void wretches. Like, no, yeah, I'm not good. Yeah, it's, it sounds like it sounds like your stones are tight into hiring. Yep, they, they are, and I think that's why. It's like just briefly to go back to the emissary. I don't think the emissary is a great choice in Terra. Uh, 
in Cody's case, because he hates the emissary. In my case, because, <laughs> you know, I think the 10 stones is better spent. Yeah. On keyword models and your cash. Yeah. And we're still early into three, but I got to tell you, um, uh, I built five crews going into Nova, one for each round. And every time it was hard. And I like that. I like, I like it because at the end of two, it wasn't hard for me to build crews. Um, and maybe by the end of three, it won't be. Maybe a year from now, it'll be easy for me to spend my 50 stones. But right now, I like the fact that every time I wish I had 60 because I, there's, there's not obvious choices. I think it's especially hard now, cast with prospectors because I think a lot of people are using upgrades to round out weird soulstone caches. Like if your master is not super stone thirsty and you have an eight stone cache, you're like, oh, well, I just had an upgrade. So now it's more reasonable. Yeah. With us, we have prospectors. So it's like, we'll just turn that thing into a prospector. I'll rock, I'll rock a two stone cache and it'll be, you know, effectively six or seven. Yep. Yeah, that changes things. Um, unfortunately, not everybody has access to that, um, except for Arcanists, because those guys, I mean, as prospectors are fine. Uh, Soulstone miners are, are, they're a problem. And I've talked about it a few times. And people that think that I'm kidding, I'm not kidding. So, um, all right, guys, let's take a quick break. When we get back from the break, I want to expand beyond the core crew. I want to talk a little bit about really how Owen and Cody um, approach a pool, um, how they look at Tara. Uh, based off of the strategies, what strategies do they look to Tara to solve? And then uh, what are some of the schemes that they really uh, think Tara excels in and which ones does she counter? So we'll be right back. Howdy friends, Craig here. With 3rd edition Malifaux released, it's time for you to get a new mat with new deployment zones. We've tried every mat in the business and nobody has better quality and selection than mats by Mars. They're waterproof and they roll and unroll easily and they're even wet erase Marco compatible. They offer over 35 designs and let you add M3E overlays for making deployment and positioning a breeze. Check them out at matsbymars.com. They are offering a sweet discount for our listeners. After you found the perfect mat, use the promo code THIRDFLOOR to get 10% off your entire order. If you really want to support us in the notes of your order, request that our logo be put in the corner of your mat. It's the only way to make the best mat in the business even cooler. Again, that's Matt by Mars. Use the promo code THIRDFLOOR to get a 10% discount. Details are in the show notes. So it's my favorite when I have uh, two people on the show and, you know, 80% of their approach to a keyword and a master are the same, but the other 20% is pretty contentious. Um, and it gets into what I think is, you know, something I mentioned, which is how important play styles are. Um, and, you know, originally we, uh, we're just going to do this with Cody, but I got talking with Owen at Nova and just before Nova and, um, yeah, I, Owen's a good player. I've played him and, um, I knew that Owen wouldn't approach this the same way Cody did. So I think having these perspectives are good. So Cody, let's, let's talk a little bit about, uh, the strategy and scheme pools. Um, you had five rounds in Nova. Uh, you ended up picking Tara three times. Um, I'd like to know what, were there certain strategies that you think, um, Tara is my first or second choice and out of all of Outcast? Yeah. Um, basically I'll play. Terra into anything not reckoning but the two strats i like the most um 
Well, I used to think plant was her best strat, and now I'm really thinking that turf war is her best strat. The reason I really like turf war for Tara is because the turf markers are impassable. Yeah. So the bombs and the corrupted idol markers are not impassable. And Tara's biggest strength is the ability to go anywhere on the board. Well, that ability to go anywhere on the board is mitigated if your opponent can just stack the idols or the bombs in like uh, in, in certain places and just stand on top of them. Well, then you got to fish for those 14 willpower duels to get to bury them so that you can interact with the strat. In turf war, you can just interact all day. As long as they don't have two inch melee, you can just boop, pop on the other side of the turf marker and press the button, flip it over. So I think mm-hmm. turf is where I'm really liking her right now. It's a close second with plant. And especially if you can get a uh, corner flank deployment, her corner and flank plant is exceptional. So I'm, I'm curious, and maybe this is stealing the thunder of a future show a little, but so the one turf war round at Nova, you actually took Parker instead of Terra. Uh, actually, so talk us through that. Yeah, I actually took Levy. Uh, and um, it was mainly because... It was in standard deployment is the first reason I'll say. Um, I really like Terra in corner and flank. And I'll explain the reason for that. Maybe uh, because some of your newer players may not understand the, the difference in terms of um, like the space that's available. So say with the schemes and strat pools that are available, there is six to eight inches on either side of the center line that let's just say it's the scoring space. That's where almost everything happens. And plant. That's the hot spot. That's the hot spot. And if you're in corner and flank, there's more hot spot, right? Because there's less wasted space in deployment. Tara loves that because Tara's main strategy is to force you to take walk actions to catch up with her, right? She's flipping and flopping all over the place. You're taking walk actions. So if it's a corner and flank, you have to take more walk actions. Uh, so I'll say that's the the first reason why I didn't play her in turf. The second reason is the po- I practice. Oh. So that turn, that round three pool is the only one I practiced for Nova, and I practiced it about four times. It's wild and wacky because <laughs> you can either spend the entire game interacting or spend the entire game not interacting at all because there are three scheme marker uh, schemes and two leader-based schemes. So you have deliver and assassinate. So it seemed like every game played out. One person was either, one or both people were trying to either just interact and not play the game or people were just trying to kill a master and deliver a message and not play the game, uh, not play this, this, the, the interact half of the thing. So that's why I would say I played Levy in that game and just tabled my opponent and went for the not interact part of that game. <laughs> and just for those listeners who weren't following the Nova missions, uh, that was round three was turf war on wedge deployment with detonate charges, harness the ley line, power ritual assassinate and deliver a message. Uh, and I'm glad to hear that you called that a wacky one because I made it that way on purpose. Yeah, that, that was yeah, very and, wacky. And I'm going to blow a little bit of smoke here, Owen, um, <laughs> because uh, Casey made it clear to me that you were responsible for about 80 to 90% of those pools. And there's a fine line, right? So you have a whole spectrum on when, when a pool. And, and I'm... I'll play a random pool all day long. I much prefer much prefer curated uh, pools. Um, every one of those pools, Owen, I looked at it and went, "God damn it!" And if it, it, like 
like if it's not obvious to me when I look at a pool, what I should do or what my opponent's going to do, that's a good pool. And uh, Cody, help me out here. Which pool was it? It was a it was a corner pool that had outflank and uh, power yeah, ritual. Five. It's round five. Yep. Oh, round five. That that it was that was the that was on the brink of being a terrible pool. Right. Yeah. Because you had you had you had schemes that were forcing us to to uh, to the corners because it was corner deployment. And then you had claim jump just sitting there like a sore thumb. Mm-hmm. Yep. So as a player, you're going into it going, you know, it's a good chance that all the fighting is going to be on the left or the right here. And I can probably get away with claim jump, which isn't easy uh, normally. Um, and had you taken that same pool, Owen, and put it in standard, I would have I would have told you it's a bad pool. Because in standard, I didn't. I would have thought it was just it was too stacked. It was just terrible. There wasn't any decisions to be made. But on corner was great. Um, so uh, for those of you that didn't get access to the pools, what I'll do is I'll, I'll figure out how to get uh, a link to them in the notes. Um, I think that you guys would have a lot of fun out there uh, in your next uh, Tuesday night match with your buddy playing some of those uh, pools that Owen built. Because uh, and Cody, you can back me up on this. They were really good. Yeah, in both of those rounds, my opponents play. My opponents and I picked the exact same scheme, so it's just it's such a. They were both pools where it's just like, Ooh, I guess I'm gonna do this. Let's see if we can. Yeah, and 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 the game's interesting if you both went the same way, yep. or if you both went different ways. <laughs> it was it was interesting either way. So hats off to you on those pools, man. Well, thanks. What and to take it back to Nova again, and again, I'll just harp on it because it just happened, but. For Terra specifically, Terra was played six times at Nova. Three of those were Cody, um, but all three or all six of those happened in the same pools. So wow. she, she appeared uh, twice in round one, which was plant explosives on standard. She appeared twice in round four, which was standard corrupted idols, and twice in round five, which was the corner plant explosives. And that, to me, dovetails nicely with where I see her as strongest, and that's in plant explosives and corrupted idols. Oh, uh, so w- w- let's talk about corrupted idols because I think we got a nice breakdown on on plant explosives, and I want to hear your thoughts on it. But I really want to hear your thoughts on corrupted idols. So, a couple things. So, one, summoner summoners are good into corrupted idols because you can add models to the game who can then spend their wounds to push things. The second reason I think she's strong in Corrupted Idols is the ability to move your own models around in the shell game. And then the third reason is that if you are able to out-activate your opponent and save those pass tokens, so if you get if you summon at the beginning and then get two pass tokens, you're going to be up one on your opponent in terms of, uh, of the initiative flip, which can help you guarantee that that idol comes in at the place where you need it to be to do the best job. Is he right or wrong, Cody? No, I, I completely agree. Um, I uh, Like I said, I'll play a Terra in anything, not Reckoning. And the one caveat I'll add on Corrupted, now... I think they're all close. I think Turf War... Now, this is an evolving opinion based on Nova as well. So I think Turf War is slightly top, then uh, Plant, and Corrupt is just slightly below. And the reason because is even though saving those pass tokens, 
um, is very good for putting the idol exactly where you want. I often found in my corrupted idols games that I didn't have the card to ensure I put it where I wanted because I'm often stoning for cards and Tara is so thirsty. She needs a severe summon. I need a severe summon two wretches. I need probably two to three moderates to ensure my stutter times go off. I need a card to discard for Karina so that she can unbury. That's four cards right there. I usually have one severe that I could spend on nothing beast sticking an attack or one Mm -hmm. severe that I'll have to spend on Tara sticking her, uh, bonus action to make something fast so that I can unbury like two to three models post that point. Um, you know, cause I can't risk it. So I usually have, and we'll get to this when, how to beat Tara. I usually have like one card that's in flux that I could spend on something. And maybe it's a seven, maybe it's a 13, you know, maybe I drew what I needed. So spending that 13 on putting the idol exactly where I want it when I could be anywhere is like, right. And eh, you know, it's, it's, it's strong, but it doesn't, um, make it like it, it's not where I auto go to Terra because of because of that ability. Right? Yeah, yeah, but but I can see where Owen's coming from because you know, yeah, he mentioned the he mentioned the past tokens, right? But really, I mean, you guys, all you guys keep talking about is Terra can put her stuff wherever she needs them to be, and, and that's corrupted idols, right? So you let you let uh, Joe Schmo uh, uh, opponent cheat his thirteen to make sure he puts the idol where he wants it because you're like, I don't care. You can do it on the center, on the corners, or whatever. I'm going to, like, I'll bring 80% of my crew there anyway. So um, uh, I can see where that happens. But here's the th- the question that hasn't been asked but has been hinted at. You, neither of you like her in Reckoning. Uh, Owen, what, what's the liability there? Or is there just a better Outcast Master? For me, Outcast is a faction that's full of damage-dealing models and, and masters. Yeah. And Terra can do damage, but if your goal is just pure damage output, you have a lot better choices in Outcast. Gotcha. She also, with her weak summons, is a liability into that because right. they're easy to kill and you can give up those points. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, if you add up the amount of points she's bringing to a Reckoning match in terms of Reckoning points, she's bringing Ionis worth two, she's bringing Terra herself worth three, the Scion might be worth two, and then all the summons, she's probably sitting around... 13, 14 reckoning points, and we have Leviticus in <laughs> the same faction who can bring nine, and all of them are defies of like he's the most busted right. uh, crew in reckoning. So, and 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 then all of our other crews are great in reckoning. Yeah, and I'm just, and again, remember, I'm not good at this game, but I'm just <laughs> learning to stop bringing henchmen to reckoning games, and, and, and it sounds really stupid that I just figured that out, but like it, it's a big deal because. Everybody's going to score two points into Reckoning. It's who scores the third or maybe fourth point that's going to determine, you know, who wins the strap. Yeah, yeah. against Terra, you can actually score the fourth point without taking the crew. That Most Reckoning yeah. crews I see, it's like almost impossible to score a fourth point without without tabling. Yeah, no, I agree. I completely agree. Um, so, uh, Owen, is there two, three schemes that you see in a pool that you just, just make you immediately reach for Tara? Yeah, absolutely. So my favorite scheme for her is hold up their forces. And that is pretty easy to score considering you have things like void wretches that are four points. If you go late in the turn and get fast on models who've already activated, you can pretty much guarantee you can score the first point. 
And as long as you're not killing the enemy crew, which you probably won't be, you can usually guarantee the second as well. Um, looking beyond hold up their forces, like outflank, it supports mobility. You don't have to do anything except be there. Yeah. Um, which is good for summoned models. And then I like search the ruins a lot because you often can get a few models through the enemy crew and into their backfield, dropping markers by terrain and being incorporeal and having Terra's teleport can let her help do that in a pinch. And you got to be really careful with search the ruins because search the ruins is relatively easy to drop markers to score, but it's because generally those markers end up being clumped together within four inches or so of each other, which also makes it really easy for your opponent to, to break. Um, it sounds to me like with Tara that I could have my three search markers, you know, 10 inches yeah, away. Sure. And that's really hard for another crew to break. And I know, Cody, you had mentioned before the show that you really like Take Prisoner yeah, with Tara. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about that? Take Prisoner is pretty decent with Tara. Um, it's it's like a, I think it's probably like in the top third of uh, uh, schemes I would take with her. Just because you can force your opponent. You play little mind games with them in terms of, uh, luring them around the board in order to score it. Also, Talos can just auto-hit the berry, and then Aonis can unbury that enemy model once it's buried using his stutter, uh, sorry, severed timeline action. And then you can score it that way. I'll definitely echo Hold Up Their Forces as being... I mean, she she's probably the best Hold Up Their Forces master in the game with the four stone significant. And unlike other summoners that are summoning small, like little weenies, she can just keep them buried until they're going to score the points after you've activated all of your models. The other scheme I'll yeah. talk about is Vendetta that I I think Hold Up and Vendetta were in like two or three of my eight games at Nova and I took them every time. Uh, Vendetta with the Scion is incredibly easy to both score the first point and the second point because um, it draws LOS through obliteration minions while it's buried and it has that Colette defensive action to basically stay buried as long as you want it to be. So all you got to do is whip up a Void Wretch, send it along, and then have the Scion punch through it uh, to score your first Vendetta point. And then they sit uh, buried until the end of the game and then uh, score your second point. Well, when you say punch through it, Cody, what do you mean? Uh, so, I, I, so, this, so the Scion could take actions while buried and while buried, it may target buried models, just like the other uh, models in the crew. And LOS for its actions, uh, it can draw a range for LOS. Uh, <laughs> sorry, let me just read the... Uh, you can draw a range in LOS for its actions from friendly ob- obliteration minions. So that's the Void Wretches and the Void Hunter. It can use them as sort of uh, the same way Rasputina uses her pillars uh, to uh, be targeting beacons for its actions. So what what that ends up giving you, uh, Cody, is it gives you a lot of flexibility um, to to make sure that you know what was challenging with with Vendetta um, is that I have to not only make sure my piece is in the right place at the right time, but I have to really make sure that your piece is at the right place at the right time. And the Vendetta first point relatively easy in four turns. Yeah. That second point is tough, man, because if you hard. score, if you declare Vendetta too early, the other, all they have to do is kill that model and, and they've denied you a point. 
If you do it too late, you may not have time to finish the job and you can't do both in the same turn. I can't score the first point and kill you and score the second point in the same turn. It, it's a t- it's a tougher scheme than, than I think a lot of people realize. Yeah, I think it's really tough in third. And that's why you need a model like Scion who could just be like, I will not die this game uh, in order to guarantee you can get that second point. Otherwise, it's not even worth the uh, convoluted strings you have to pull to score the, score the first point. So, guys, we got um, we had a, a question sent in by one of our listeners. Actually, um, uh, it's Damien here from the Carolina Conference. So, um, Damien has a question um, about uh, schemes, and oh, and I'd be interested to hear what your thoughts are. Hey guys, Damien from North Carolina here. Uh, just had a quick question about Terra. Just wanted to know uh, if you're playing against Terra, uh, are there certain schemes that you see that you don't want to take uh, facing Terra that make things difficult? Um, recently had my first game playing against Terra the other day and I noticed I took Breakthrough, which is really frustrating for me because uh, my opponent kept burying my models and unburying them on my, uh, my models that were trying to do Breakthrough, which left them really far out of the fight and it was super obnoxious. So just want to see if there's anything else that maybe I should avoid playing against Terra as well. Thanks a lot. Um, I think it really depends on how mobile your crew can be. She definitely has the ability to deny it. Um, I'd say ones that are especially rough against Terra are Claim Jump, because that model that's going to go in the middle, most likely you're going to be able to put a model next to it or even bury that model so it can never get anywhere near the middle. So I'd say Claim Jump is one of the worst against Terra. Um, Assassinate is kind of hit or miss. You have the ability to bury Terra and get her out of harm's way, uh, as long as you aren't too aggressive with how you position her. So that can be tough to score against her. Um, I would say, for me, those are the ones that immediately come to mind. But I don't know, Cody, do you have any others you really like denying? Yeah, claim jump. You're spot on with claim jump because if I get even a little bit of a whiff of it, I'm going to run a void wretch to the middle of the board every single turn after you've already activated. You're never going to score it. Um, I would also not do anything that makes you name a model on any of the obliteration models. So I wouldn't do take prisoner on the nothing beats, for example. Your opponent is just, you're just going to have to luck into that, which is not a good way to win games. Uh, same with, um, you know, Vendetta or, you know, on any of the obliteration things. You need to know what in the Terra crew does not have the ability to be buried. So that's Talos and that's any of their sort of out of active, out of keyword uh, things. So they probably brought some. It's, they probably brought a prospector. So it's, prospector is a good thing for Take Prisoner or Vendetta if you have to pick that. And, um, yeah, I can understand why uh, Damien is saying breakthrough is hard because uh, there's got probably a prospector sitting in the deployment zone the entire time just waiting for one of those scheme markers to dig up. So sorry, Arcanist players. Sorry, your your one stone, soul stone miner could <laughs> this game. Sorry, just pick something different the next time, I guess. I don't know. So that's actually a really good segue into beyond just the mission, thinking about matchups that Terra is good into. And you mentioned Soulstone Miners. Her crew just wrecks enemy yeah. crews that depend on burying their own models. So Soulstone yeah. Miners, Colette, other models with Fade Away, like Agent 40, 
six, seven. Yeah. Yeah. Agent 46. Um, so any crews that rely on burying their own models defensively, you can put a world of hurt on them. Um, I've also found she's good versus slow crews because if you can put them out of position with a berry unbury effect, it can make it really difficult for them to get back into position where they need to be. So, so, oh, and that covers Alcat or uh, Arcanist, right? So Arcanist <laughs> makes you say, okay, yeah. every Arcanist player is going to bring two Soulstone Miners. So I know that Tara is good into that. Is there, is there other factions that fit those other categories you're talking about? So, you know, we declare factions first. Um, yeah. and I'd be interested to know if there's a, a faction that, uh, that your opponent would declare that would make Tara a better choice for you. Um, so I will admit I have not played against a ton of Bayou and Rezzers. Uh, in general, there are a lot of slower Rezzers models, but I know there are also some fast ones. So yeah. it might depend on knowing like, what your opponent is likely to bring based on either the mission or their preferences. Uh, for me, it's more which faction you want to avoid. And for me, that's Guild. Um, Guild has a lot of ways. Guild has a lot of ways to attack your buried models, which is basically turning the tables on your key strength. So that can be a risky maneuver because they can even just tech into pieces that can attack your buried models. How about you, Cody? What are, what are uh, how, how does the declared faction of your opponent impact whether you take Tar or not? Like Owen said, I, I just don't play Terra into Guild. Uh, the jury is just too strong. As soon as the jury activates, she deals two damage to the Void Wretches, or does two damage to models that have are buried and one damage to models with summoning upgrades. So as soon as she activates, or I might have those backwards, either way, she does three damage to the Void Wretches, and that's not an attack action, so it doesn't. So it goes through incorporeal. Um, so they just slide in the, the jury, and I'm not looking to play that sort of mini-game where... Uh, you know, maybe I could bring less of my obliteration models and you'll be wasting points on the jury because it's not that big of a waste. Uh, so I'm just not going to play Terra into Guild, at least for now. I'm sure if someone wants to <clears throat> practice that mini game with their, their buddy who plays Guild, that they could probably figure out a way to like bring Terra, but only bring, you know, those out of keyword models we were talking about so that the, mm-hmm. the tech that gets sort of lessened. Um, in terms of other factions, I haven't ran into anything that's, uh, going to make me not dr- so there's 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 counter picks and then there's hard counters right counter picks there's things I don't want to see and then hard counters are going to make me not drop it into the entire faction jury is that hard counter uh, Yoko I don't like you know in Ten Thunders because she's generating a bunch of pass tokens and she's putting you on negatives and card Tara, pressure yeah Tara does not like negatives because we don't want to be spending an AP that we could uh, pu- be punching with to concentrate just so that we could stick our bonus action to make you fast. That's a super inefficient use of AP. Um, But it's not so bad that I wouldn't drop Terra into 10 Thunders. Got it. But that's who you'd be afraid of, right? So um, you you might still bring out Tara when they declare 10 Thunders, and you'll kind of hope that they don't bring um, uh, that. It's kind of like when uh, they declare uh, Bayou, and I'm like, I really like McMorning into this, and I hope they don't bring Brewery. Um, it's not like second edition where uh, a lot of people had tech picks into Terra. Terra yeah. gets the better end of every 
varied interaction except for the jury and the death marshal recruiter in the right. guild. So I could punch Masaki, she can't punch back. I could punch the Dreamer summons, he can't punch back. Uh, so she gets the better end of all of those interactions. That makes sense to me. That makes sense. So guys, we're going to take uh, one more break. And when we get back, I want to talk a little bit about um, maybe some secrets that uh, people are going to discover about Tara after playing her uh, a, a lot of times. So we're going to talk a little bit about that second level play. And we've hinted at some counters for the obliteration crew. Um, and I want to dig into that to a little bit more. So we'll be right back. Howdy folks, Craig here. Now if you love gadgets as much as we do, you're going to love the new Third Floor Wars Gadget Bundle from Schooner Labs. Branded with the logo of your favorite podcast, it comes with two measuring multi-tools, a compass stepper for those tight and important movements, along with a compact dashboard to track your turn, strat, and scheme scoring along with your soul stones and pass tokens. It is the perfect bundle for anyone who plays Malifaux or just wants to look cool while doing it. The link is in the show notes. Check them out and help support your favorite gaming podcast. So I think one of the jokes I've seen a few times is uh, is playing Tar is a little bit like playing 3D chess. And I think that uh, anybody who's um, been listening has kind of really you know, figure that out because not only are some of the interactions very unique, uh, which makes her, you know, somebody who needs to be practiced, but I, I think that she has a lot of options. And I think one of the things that people are figuring out in three right now is that the more options you have are great, right? It makes you more flexible. You can be reactive, but it also gives you more opportunities to make mistakes. Um, so I, I do see why, um, you know, Tara may not be as straightforward as playing Lady Justice, for example. But um, Cody, I want to talk a little bit about um, kind of something you discovered about the Obliteration crew after you got five or ten games in. Um, so, you know, obviously the first time you put Tara down in third edition, you had all the cards out there in front of you. You had a pretty good idea what she was going to do. You kind of went and stuff like that. But what didn't what didn't happen um, until later on that, we, that you scratched below the surface and got more into the, uh, the core of the crew. What are some interesting things people are going to figure out? Oh man. So, so like we said before, Tara is exceptionally deep. Just the ability, just the, if you just sit down with at your next game week and you only think about, you know, three abilities on each card, you're still going to have a, a, a headache just in the bearing and unbearing mechanics. Say with Aonis, you only unbury and you generate two pass to, to, uh, you generate four pass tokens. You don't even care about what else you might do with a scion. You're just punching and you're, you know, m- making things fast. Um, you're still going to go home and look at the cards and be like, what? He has that ability too. Like, uh, there's so much deep stuff. Like, for example, I was thinking about some of my last games at Nova. So, uh, my typical turn one strategy with Aonis is to generate the four pass tokens just so that I could see where my opponent is going to go, where they're going to be. Um, and uh, things like that, and then dropping a nothing beast in a certain location. Uh, thinking back on certain games, it's like, oh, I didn't need to generate four. What I needed to do was to generate two mm-hmm. uh, by unbearing the nothing beast within one inch of Aonis, him punching the nothing beast and giving him fast, because that's a thing he could do on his melee attack, and then rebearing the nothing beast. I would only have gotten two pass tokens out of that, but I knew my opponent was only going to have one meaningful attack action, right? Like So there's, there's a bunch of different types of crews. Some some 
especially in second, you saw this type of crew a lot where it would be like, this guy goes and buffs, this guy goes and buffs, this guy goes and buffs, this guy goes and pushes. And then this guy, this one guy goes crazy into your crew and alpha strikes you, right? If you're facing one of those crews, you don't need four pass tokens because they're doing something with those activations anyway. If you have a fast nothing beast, that's better value, right? So there's, there's a lot of little bitty interactions that it just take a while to get your head around. Uh, one thing that I didn't get at first that I really started to get later was uh, optimal Karina play. So at first, you look at Karina, she's five costs. You're like, why? She's just four health, four defense, four willpower. Um, and I know, I know you usually talk about lore in these things. Karina, like in the lore, is actually sort of Tara's secondhand sort of summoner. I think in like the first edition, she's the summoner and summons Tara. Tara's kind of the Barrack Dondarian of Malifaux, right? Every time she dies. Nice reference, Cody. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. Yeah. Karina brings, her, Karina brings her back to life. You know, every time she dies, uh, except for she's way more emo and, and, and <laughs> or something. Uh, but so, but optimal Karina play really took me a while because, uh, she's super important. It doesn't, you don't see it at first. She was like, Oh, this is just a heal and a bad gun. But if you, if Aonis gets run down, if Tara gets run down, if the, if stuff hits the fan, you got to have Karina both healing and you got to have a seven and a discard in your hand so that you can get something out of buried so that it can have an activation. Otherwise, it's just going to sit buried the entire turn because you've already went with nothing beast to, uh, or Aonis to generate your pass tokens. How about you, Owen? What what are some of the uh, locks that, that uh, you've uh, cracked? So for me, a lot of it comes down to the both the order of operations and then knowing the correct amount to push forward. So like how aggressive to be. Because there's definitely been a lot of games where I got Terra just murdered by the enemy crew because I too aggressively moved her up the board with those teleports to try to go after some schemes. And then she was out of position, not in the Karina stay alive aura and not in range for the emergency berry. So unless it's going to win you the game, I think it's important to try to keep her at least within emergency berry range of an unactivated void wretch. So you have the option if you need it. Um, and then just be careful in general with your key pieces that you don't accidentally expose them uh, to enemy attacks, especially if you're rem- you're burying your own models, you could accidentally bury a model and then suddenly open a charge lane to Karina or, you know, a backfield model. So it sounds to me, Owen, like it's really critical for, I mean, it's critical in any game with any crew, but it sounds extra critical because of the amount of flexibility of positioning that you have in Tara that keeping keeping track of the threats on the other side of the board is key. Absolutely. I want to add one other thing, and I'll try to say it slower this time because I realized I that last little spiel was very fast. Um, so with your bonus action where you're making things fast, obviously you mess that up. Like the first five games, you're going to mess that up a few times. You're going to give something fast and then they're going to activate. And you're like, oh, I just gave you. <laughs> you're welcome. Ex- <laughs> uh, sorry about that. Uh, messed up. Uh, so, and the other thing that's also super um, sort of uh confusing when you look at Tara's crew first and I've seen everyone who has like a 
uh, initial reaction to what Terra does. They're like, oh, well, you give things fast and then you punch them more better, right? Because you, a lot of your stuff gets plus flips against things that are fast. But in actuality, once you play Terra a few more times, you realize you don't really want to be punching. You don't really want to be punching the thing you're giving fast. The reason that is is because if you punch it, you get the you get the glimpse trigger, and then the fast model might go be buried. Yeah. And instead of you being able to unbury base to base with that fast model, it's now buried. So not only did your fast uh, you're, you're not able to take the fast off the model, mm-hmm. now you don't get to unbury. And they're going to activate, and that fast might have just mitigated all of the pro- all of the things you were getting out of repositioning them. Yeah. If they can just take that fast AP, walk back to where they were, and then charge you. The counterpoint to that is models with serene countenance. So sure, and masters. So in that game versus Molly, um, well, a Molly doesn't benefit from fast because she's a master, and B, if you can get fast on her, then all of your other attacks from more meaningful models can just ignore that negative. Um, one other trap I would mention for new players and for those facing Terra to exploit if people try to do it is it's entirely possible to get too cute with the Nothing Beast Accelerate Time and Aeonis buffering abilities. So the accelerate time is the pulse out fast to a whole bunch of models. And the Aeonis buffering ability is when an enemy model within line of sight with fast would activate, you may discard a pass token to pass for them. It sounds really cool. And you're like, Oh, awesome. I can have basically an insight and I can do lots of crazy stuff, but if you try to like set up that Rube Goldberg machine <laughs> nine times out of 10, it's not really going to do anything and it's just going to get your guys killed. So yeah. take it if it's there, but don't, don't really plan on that. And, and I think that's true of, of almost every time. I mean, you start, you start thinking, well, if I can do a, B, C and D, I mean, it's going to be devastating. Um, the problem is, is that, Probably by the time you get to D, because those are alternating activations, your opponents, you know, smelled it, and uh, you may not even have the cards for it. So, um, I, it's one of you know, I like that there are combos in Malifaux, but they aren't the game. Um, um, so I think that's really good advice. So, oh, and let's roll into um, kind of counters. So, uh, w- what are things that scare you when you have Tar on the board? So. As we mentioned before, anything that attacks buried models, um, and then anything that attacks incorporeal models, so things that ignore irreducible damage or ignore incorporeal, and then things that can deal incidental damage to get around that incorporeal. So auras or um, things like blasts off of things or just un uh, damage that happens outside of the context of an attack action. All of those things can be really bad for taking down your incorporeal models a lot faster than you expect. Um, And then just if you're able to roll in with a model like Archie and just snipe out a model like Aeonis or Terra you can really mess up the whole plan of how the shell game works. How about you, Cody? 
Yeah. Um, I would say, so I'll start big and then get micro, start macro, get micro. Uh, the w- way you beat Terra is you kill Terra or Aonis. Like I said before, if both of those are live at turn five, my ability to score, score end of game schemes and strats is just, it's incredible. Um, now that's easier said than done, right? Because if I'm playing Aonis properly to, if Aonis is essential for me to win the game, I should be protecting him uh, well, same as Terra. So if you are going to do that alpha strike strategy we talked about where you buff, 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 and then you send big uh, Yasunori across the map and he goes and he punches Aonis one and a half times or, or two times, whatever, um, then I'm just going to, you got to have the cards to also prevent him from getting buried next turn because I can't, I can punch him, you know, two to seven, t- you know, a bunch of times and uh, force you to take that target 14 willpower door be buried. And if you fail it, you're going to go right back to start. So you can do that every single turn. And that's not a winning strategy is spending your entire crew running across the, uh, sending one model across the board. So you really have to be able to pressure the point scoring engine, which is Terra, Aonis and summons without over committing or under committing which is a hard sell, right? <laughs> That's not really helpful, Cody. What do you mean? <laughs> you can't overcommit. You can't send a bunch in there, but you can't undercommit because you can't, you have to interact, right? You Got can't, it. Okay. you can't just let me scheme and just summon all day, right? Because you're just going to get bogged down in void wretches while I'm scoring all my points and you're scoring nothing. Um, so some of the easiest way to do that is any crew where the entire crew is fast. Um, and I'll, I'll say some of my hardest games, and that'll give you some uh, ideas of things that have really troubled me, which has been Molly, Yoko, uh, the Vix, uh, and Zip. So all of these crews are very fast for the most part, or can at least pressure certain parts of the board, or they do things that make my stuff harder. Mm-hmm. So concealment and negatives, anything that does those two things... Uh, makes her entire crew inefficient. Um, like the nothing beast, I can't. Like I cannot score assassinate against a uh, serene countenance master. Like it's very hard. I have to spend them. Uh, uh, I either have to get Tara in there, and she's spending a stone to stick her bonus action. So I'm going to have to spend a high card on it so that I can then have Ionis unbury the nothing beast. He walk charges, and now he's on straight flip so that I can punch you once. Like, it's not a great strategy. Uh, so anything that's making you inefficient that way, and we didn't mention it before, but the t- uh, the uh, stutter time action is an attack action. Even though it's a bonus action and can target friendlies, mm-hmm. it has all the problems of attack actions, even if you're targeting a friendly. So if I'm trying to bury uh, Terra, like say I go with Terra, I leap and I leap and then I walk charge, and I'm way deep in your crew, I cannot reliably bury her unless I can get a model with focus up there if she's in like a concealment aura. So if I walk into Zip and he's in Terra is in Zip's concealment aura, it's also making it harder for me to bury my own Terra because that action is an attack action. Yeah. So any of those auras that are negatives and concealments make it really hard for her. You guys talked about the the card pressure too, right? So anything that's forcing you to discard, anything that's um, maybe terrifying, stuff like that, are are those problems? Yeah, I really don't like Yoko because it pressures her hand. Like I said, she has 
maybe one card to spare. If I play against Yoko, I have zero cards to spare, and I'm probably still stoning for um, uh, the card I need to summon. I actually like playing against Zoraida because she like gives me more cards with her bonus action to yep. let us both guard our card and draw our hands. All right. So, and I appreciate it, guys. I think that that was some good advice on how to counter her. Um, I'm right now not convinced um, that that's going to give me a whole lot of options. Um, I, I have struggled against her and I don't think I'm alone. I think probably the best counter to Tara is going up against a player who hasn't put the reps in with her. Um, because I think you both guys did a great job of, of explaining that, you know, she's not easy, but she, she's worth the work and worth getting the reps in. Um, so Owen, um, if people want to, uh, reach out or is there any plugs or anything that uh, you'd like to give? So best way to reach out to me is to hit me up on a weird place on Facebook. I'm pretty active there and in the capital Malifo. Facebook group. Uh, so if you're in the DC area, come on out. I host weekly game nights. So I'll put a plug for that. Um, no other events scheduled at the moment, but I think a number of us are actually going to be coming down to Craig's event in December. So uh, I'll put in a plug for, for your stuff. Yeah, um, yeah that's, that's mid December. And it's actually, uh, just Jesse, uh, Jesse's event. Um, but uh, it's going to be kind of our mid-season for the Carolinas Conference. It's going to be a grand tournament, um, and I'm really, I'm really happy to hear you say, Owen, that you're going to bring your crew down for that. Um, we're only going to allow 32 players. I anticipate it's going to sell out. Um, so go to uh, atomicempire.com uh, and uh, make sure you buy your tickets before it does. And I'll put links into the show notes. So I, I appreciate that, Owen. You're welcome. How about you, Cody? Um, you can find me on Facebook. I'm on a weird place and stuff too. Um, I'm more likely to respond on Instagram, I guess. My Instagram is ofishcody, all one word. I post a bunch of pictures on there as I paint. I'm, I'm not as talented as Craig, oh, but I'm very, I'm very prolific. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. So, people have been giving me crap about saying I'm a bad player, right? And, 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 Everybody knows that I got lucky at Nova and I'm a bad player. But you you trying to pretend that you're not a good painter is unacceptable. Um, So I'm going to put some links in the show notes to some of Cody's work. Um, Not only is Cody a very, very good painter, but I consider uh, what I love the most is Cody puts so much thought into his crews. So like, I'll just paint shit, right? And people, you know, some people like it, some people don't. Like, Cody, you like... Like every crew is like a doctrine, um, like thematically and you get tiny freaking furniture and, you know, there's a story if you put these two models together and it's a different story if you put those two models together. Um, you're, don't undersell yourself, Cody. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, Put, put some uh, fresh pictures on the website and link them in the notes because um, if you haven't seen Cody's tar crew, um, it's it's really one of the best put together crews I've ever seen. Uh, his Parker crew we featured on Third Floor Wars already. Um, uh, so I appreciate you being humble, Cody. Um, you're you're very very good at what you do, man. Painting's the funnest part. Painting's boring. <laughs> yeah, that can be that can be very true. All right, guys. Um, it's not gonna be the last time either of you are on the show. I appreciate you making the time. Um, for those of you out there, um it, it uh 
if you've got Tara, um, get her on the table, start playing. I think it's one of the big takeaways that we've had uh, in this episode is that um, it's just going to take a little bit of time, but boy, oh boy, how cool does she sound? And uh, and, and we know she's competitive. Um, I think that Cody's already proven that as well. So uh, thanks for listening, everybody, and have a good night. Be sure to check out our shop on thirdfloorwars.com for the latest gaming apparel and gear. While you're there, check out how the USFO Tour is shaping up. How does your conference compare to the others in the United States? Where do you rank nationally? Get those models built, painted, and on the table so we can see you at the U.S. Masters Invitational in October of 2020. Also, rate and write a review on this podcast for us. It really helps us find people almost as cool as you are. Thanks for listening. Howdy friend, Craig here. Is this episode making you realize you need to buy some models? Gadzooks Gaming is my favorite online retailer because of their large selection, killer prices, and great customer service. Don't you hate buying an entire crew box when you only need one model? Gadzooks sells crew box models individually and saves you a ton of money. They even have free shipping to the U.S. and Canada if you spend $100 or more. Swing by gadzooksgaming.com and make sure you tell them Craig from the third floor sent you. All the details are in the show notes.